so I wonder how you got here this morning, whether you came by car or you walked or you cycled. I wonder how you got here this morning, and I wonder what you said to other people, either in your house or on social media or with friends or whatever, about how it was you're going to get here. And I wonder if you're online with us this morning, how you've got to be online. Presumably you maybe walked from one room to another in your house and you switched on YouTube, on your TV or on your iPad or on your phone or whatever it might be. I wonder how you described what you were doing, whether you're online with us today or whether you're on site. Did you say, for example, we're off to church today? wonder if that's what you said when you were frantically trying to get the kids out of bed because we've moved the service time an hour earlier than it used to be. And you were trying to encourage the kids and you were saying, get up, we're going to church today. I wonder if that's what you said. I've been to a whole load of churches in a whole load of different places. I've been to an all-night church service for young people at Salisbury Cathedral where we camped out in the nave of Salisbury Cathedral. I've been to a church service in a place called Tombo, the middle of nowhere in Sierra Leone. I've been to Soul Survivor, been in an enormous circus tent with 6,000 young people all singing that song that we sang at the beginning of our service today. I've been to a school hall where week in, week out, we met in a new church that we'd started. I've been sitting round in a large living room in Poland with a whole bunch of young people sitting in a circle. I've been to several US mega churches where thousands of people gather for a service. And I've been to a tin shack that's both a church and a school and been to a service there. Perhaps the most adventurous going to church, if we want to use that language, experience that I've ever had is when I was 16 years old and on a youth trip to Kenya. And one morning we were sent off in pairs to visit local churches for a Sunday service. And myself and another girl were sent off to a church that was on the other side of the lake from where we were staying. And by the way, a lake that was full of crocodiles and hippos. And this was our mode of transport to get across the lake. That was perhaps the most adventurous going to a service in a church experience I've ever had. It was quite a thing. When I've been to church services, I've sat on chairs, I've sat on pews, I've sat on the floor. I've sung to music that was led by an organ. I've sung to music that led by a band. I've sung to music that was led on a piano and on a guitar. And I've been to services where there's been no instruments at all. And do you know what I remember most about all of those different church experiences? And it has nothing to do with the building. It has nothing to do with the numbers of people who were there. It has nothing to do with what we were sitting on. It has everything to do with the people that I was with. That's what I remember. I remember my friend Pastor Tanny and my friend Abs in those churches in rural locations in Sierra Leone. I remember the young people and their leaders that we were with in that upper room in Poland. I remember the girl I was with in that canoe and in that service. I remember the young people who had just decided to become Jesus followers in that service at Soul Survivor. 
I remember my church leader friends from the Further Faster Network who I was visiting those US megachurches with. And I remember my friends Steve and Sarah who we met on that very first day in that schoolroom in that new church and who have become lifelong family friends. But it's not just the people I remember. I remember the reason why we were there. And I remember the passion and the vision and the mission we sensed from God about what we were trying to do together. As we're going to discover together over these next four weeks, the church is God's idea. But in God's mind, when he thought about the church and when he thinks about church, is the vision and the mission of what that church is supposed to be about. That's what's in God's mind. When God thought about and thinks about church, it was never about buildings. It was always about people, and it was always about the mission. You know, we were never supposed to go to church. We're supposed to be the church. And we need, as the title of this series says, to stop going to church and start being the church. And I want to say to you, if you're not a Christian, if you're exploring faith, you are so, so welcome with us, either on-site or online today. We're trying to be a church that includes people like you, people who are exploring faith and who maybe have not done church before or have not done church for a very long time. My hope and my prayer is that during this series, you will capture the heart and the vision of what God thinks church is supposed to be about, and you will feel a part of it and included and welcomed and able to continue. And if you have been a church person, if you are a person of faith, maybe you've been doing church for a very, very long time, then my hope and my prayer through this series is you will catch a fresh inspiration and vision about what this thing called the church is supposed to be about. And over these next four weeks, we're going to look at four ways that God describes the church. And that I hope is going to give us a a window into what's God's vision and passion for the churches and encourage us to stop going to church and to be more church. That's what my hope is. We're going to look to grow our vision and our passion for this amazing thing called the church as we look at these four different metaphors or ideas that God uses to describe what the church is supposed to be about. And we're going to be challenged to take our next steps in partnering with God and partnering with his church. And we start today with the metaphor of the body. And as we've already said, Paul was one of Jesus' first followers, and he was involved in setting up and starting a whole load of churches around the Mediterranean area. And one of them was in this place called Corinth that we've already referenced. But the church in Corinth had rather lost its way since Paul had started it all up. They got into arguments and debates, and they were less worried about being the church and more worried about kind of arguing with each other. And they'd kind of lost their way. They'd lost what they were really supposed to be about. So Paul writes to them in his first letter to the people in Corinth, which is in the New Testament part of the Bible. And as part of this whole letter, he's encouraging them to remember what the church is really supposed to be about. So we're going to jump in 
And we're going to jump in to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12, for a few verses. And if you want to follow along, you could look that up in the YouVersion Bible app, or if you've got a Bible, you could look it up there, or the text is going to appear on this TV next to me and on the big screen if you're here in the hall. So this is what Paul says in the first couple of verses we're going to look at today. Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Now, as we've said already, this illustration of the body was really well known in Paul's day. It was a well-known illustration. And Paul is saying, look, in the body of the church, there is no hierarchy of importance And he's going to go on through these verses to keep reinforcing that point. He says that there are different parts of the body, but they all form the body. There are different roles, but they're all part of the one big thing. And for the first time, Paul starts introducing this idea that the church is a body the body of Jesus, his representation on earth. Now, this was revolutionary in Paul's time. And it's so clever, I keep saying this, but it's so clever of Paul to use this illustration, one that was so well known to the people of Corinth. But in Corinth, it was being used to promote hierarchy and that some people were more important than others. And Paul turns that upside down. And actually, Paul says, look, we need to recapture that story that you know from the author Aesop, we need to recapture what it's really supposed to be about, which is that everybody's equal, that everybody is important, that in the church, the body of Jesus, no one is more important than anybody else. Now, in our day, in our society, in our culture, we may like to think that we're different to that culture in Corinth, that we're all about inclusivity, But the reality is, and what our culture so often teaches, is exactly the same as what the Corinthian culture taught, is that there are some people who are more important than others, some people who are more valuable than others. That's what's being reinforced in our culture all the time. And in our culture, that usually has to do with how much money you've got or how famous you are. It's what makes you, in our culture, seemingly more important than somebody else. So this idea that Paul is talking about here that was revolutionary in his time is just as revolutionary in our time. And Paul is going to go on to take some examples, some really emotive examples actually, to really make his point. So Paul picks these groups of people, the Jews and the Gentiles, the slaves and the free, to really make his point. Because in the culture of the day, the Jewish people in the Jewish faith, which was from where Jesus came out of, felt they were more important than people who weren't Jews, people who weren't religious. Gentiles here means people who didn't share the Jewish faith. And some of that had spilled over into this new Christian church. So Paul deliberately picks this very emotive example to say, no, everybody's equal, including Jews and Gentiles. And that would have caused a gasp when it was read out to the people in Corinth from Paul. And Gentiles here means people who didn't share the same faith as the others. And by the way, I hope, just going back to those of you who might be here this morning who uh, may not yet be a Jesus follower. You wouldn't describe yourself in that way. But you'd say, look, actually, I'm exploring faith. I'm not quite sure what I believe. I hope that's an encouragement to you 
But Paul is saying people like you are just as important as anybody else. And in our church, that's what we're trying to build, a culture where those who are exploring faith are just as important as people who may have been Christians for years. And then the other example he picks is the slave and the free. And again, really emotive because in this culture, it was very clearly whether you were a free person or whether you were a slave. There was like a real societal divide. And again, Paul is saying in the church, there should be no divide. Everybody is equally important, whether you're a slave or a free person. And again, scandalous and shocking that would have been. So what Paul is saying and what we need to hear today is that your value and my value in the church is not dependent on how long you've been around or how long you've been a Christian or even whether you are a Christian. Your value in the church is not dependent on your age. doesn't matter how young or how old you are. We are all important and valuable equally. And we are all part of this amazing thing called the church together. And then Paul goes on to address two problems. One has to do with the lies we tell ourselves. And the other one has to do with maybe the lies that we tell about other people. So look what Paul goes on to say. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. Now, he imagines the body having a conversation with itself, just like in Aesop's fable. And in this part of the letter, in the first problem that he's addressing in all of this, he's imagining the parts of the body saying to one another, I'm not as important as you. You're clearly a more important part than me. I'm so unimportant that I really can't be part of this whole thing. Or, I wish I was different. Now, I wonder if you've ever done that. How many of us have looked at other people's gifts or talents or abilities or circumstances or roles and thought, well, that looks more important than what I'm doing or what I have or what I've got. I wish I had that. You see, so often we place our sense of significance or identity in what we do. And even if we really like that idea of everybody being equally important, something inside of us says, if I could just do this or do that or have this or have that or be involved in this way or that, then that would help me feel significant. If I could lead this size of church... If I could have this kind of ministry, if I could be on this team, if I could go to this college or this university or get that promotion into that role, then I would be happy, then I would feel significant. But when we don't see our value or don't see our gifts and talents as significant or the circumstances that we are in as important, when we think about the things we'd like to have, then it just leads to misery and jealousy. And do you know why we feel that way so often? So often it's because we aren't listening to what God says about us. We aren't believing what God says about us. We start listening to those whispers in our own heads rather than to the voice of God. We start listening to the voice of culture rather than to the voice of God. And when we start listening to our own voices, our own whispers, we can start telling ourselves a whole load of untruths. 
We tell ourselves that what we have doesn't matter, that what we have to contribute isn't important. Or maybe we feel like nobody's noticing us. But look what God says. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? The human body is so much better for its diversity. It's so much better for all the different parts. If the body was all ears, where would that leave us? And the same is true for the church, the body of Jesus that is the church. It's so good that we're different and diverse. It's so good that we have different gifts and abilities and contributions to make. Otherwise, it would be really boring, right? Really boring. But look again at verse 18. God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. This tells you that God has very specifically and deliberately created and gifted you. And he has very specifically and very deliberately brought you into the family of Andover Baptist Church at this moment in time. It is not an accident that you are here, whoever you are, wherever you are. And whether you're on site or you're online, it's not an accident that you're here. But so often we say to ourselves, I wish I had different gifts or abilities, or I wish I had different things to bring, or even I wish I was in a different church. But when you say that, do you know what you're saying to God? You're saying to God, you were wrong. You should have made me differently or placed me somewhere else. You are telling God that God was wrong. Can you imagine how much stress and worry we could let go of if instead of listening to the voices of our culture or in our own minds, we listen to God and what God says? If we really believed God, that he had placed us with these gifts in this place for just this time, if we really believe that, and instead of trying to go our own route, just thanked God for what we've been given and looked for every chance to use the gifts and the abilities and the resources that he had given us to serve as many people as we possibly could, wouldn't that be freeing and liberating and exciting? And that, my friends, is exactly what God wants for you. He wants freedom and liberation and adventure for you. So the first problem is the lies we tell ourselves and that actually we tell God that he was wrong instead of listening to him. The second problem is to do with the lies that we tell about other people. It says this, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. This time, the problem is focused on the other people. The eye is rejecting the hand and the head is rejecting the feet. Do we do that sometimes? Do we sometimes, however subconsciously we might do it, tell other people, I don't need you? It may not be that we actively dislike other people, 
but maybe just subconsciously, we take the view that some people aren't necessary to us. But Paul is so clear, the weaker parts that seem to be dispensable are in fact indispensable. We need each other. Our constant drive towards independence is wrong. It leads to loneliness and isolation and selfishness. And then Paul concludes this part of his letter with one really succinct phrase. Now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. So forget the lies you tell yourself, forget the lies you tell other people, you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. You are significant, you matter, but also you and I, we're not the point. We're not the main event. We're not the purpose. Because you know, elsewhere in the Bible, when this metaphor of the body is used, Jesus is described as the head. Jesus is the head of the church. Jesus is the head of the body. Jesus is put in the position of the head. And we're all the other bits. We're the eye and the ear and the hand and the foot and the belly. And we shouldn't be listening to one another. We shouldn't even be listening to ourselves. We should be listening to the head. The head of the church, Jesus. You are part of the body. You are important. But it is all about Jesus. So what does this all mean? Three things as I come into land that this all means. Number one, you are more significant than you know. God has a purpose and a plan for you. It's not an accident that you're here today. It's not an accident you're part of the family of Andover Baptist Church from wherever you are engaging with this today. And including those of you who are here today exploring faith. You aren't quite sure whether you're all in with this Jesus following stuff yet. You are a part of this. You are significant and important too. And he is passionate that each and every one of us should be playing our part. Otherwise, the body that is the church is not all that it can and should be. And this is true for all ages as well. It's so good that when we're talking about this today, we've got our children and our young people in with us. Do you know, I was told the other day by our kids and youth team here at ABC that every Sunday now that we gather together at ABC, at least two of our young people are on a serving team here on a Sunday morning. How cool is that? How amazing is that? Our young people are showing us the way by serving with the gifts and talents and abilities that God has given them. They're showing us what it means to be a contributing part of the body of Jesus. So number one, you're more significant than you know, no matter how young or how old you are. Number two, you are completely and utterly useless on your own. We need each other. And that goes for all ages too. We need the very youngest and the very oldest. And number three, you are not the point. The passage begins and ends with this same point. We are one body with Jesus. He is the one who puts our gifts and our service and our participation into the proper order and context because it's all about him. He's the point. He's the head. He's the reason for everything. He is the point of his church. There is absolutely no point whatsoever in church or anything that we do 
if it's not all about Jesus. And we exist to help one another find and follow him. That's why we exist as a church community. So we each need to play our part. We each need to know how much we need one another. And we need, my friends, to stop going to church and start being more church. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much for this amazing thing that you have created and built called the church. We thank you that it is the body of Jesus. We thank you that he is the head. We thank you that we are more significant than we know, but we are not the point. We thank you that he is. I thank you that each and every person who's a part of our church family here at ABC, whether on-site or online, is a valuable and equal part of our church community that you have brought into this place at this time to make their contribution. Lord God, thank you for our children and our young people. Thank you that we are an all-age church. And Lord God, I pray challenge and inspire each and every one of us to take our next steps in being part and contributing to your body in this place. Amen.